Well, good morning, everybody, and praise God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to all you coming online, and welcome to all you that are in my home here in McKinney, Texas. Uh, this is your first time listening to me. Hello, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days. And this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. I hope you came here to hear the Word of the Lord, because that's what we're here to do. Hear the Word of the Lord, not to be entertained, but to hear the Word of the Lord. Let's start with a word of prayer, please. We always do that. We ask God to bless our ears and bless our hearts and bless my mouth, because goodness knows we all need more prayer, don't we? Amen? We all need more prayer. So, Lord, we, uh, we come before you, Lord God. Humbly, Lord God, we come before you, and we know that we're always not far from you, Lord, as we learned in Acts chapter 17, Lord, with the uh, statue to the unknown God, Lord. Paul told us you're, you're not far from us all, Lord, and that, that would be, uh, you're not far from the person that's the Satan-worshipping hater of God to the person that's the closest to you in all the earth. Lord, you're not far from any one of us, Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you for this closeness that we can have with you, Lord, that we can revel in, Lord God. The, part of the problem, Lord, though, is that most people, they, they don't even think about that, so they feel so far from you. And I know that's me sometimes, too. But, Lord, we don't have to feel far from you. We can know that you're close. So, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to meditate on things like this. As, as Paul says, Lord, let us think about the things that are of good rapport, Lord, the things that are good and holy for us to think of. And help us to think of those things, Lord God, instead of the things of the world. Lord, we ask today that you would bless our hearts and bless my mouth, Lord God, that I would teach this message and preach this message the way it's supposed to be taught and, and preached, Lord, in, in, in your power and your strength. Lord God, and I pray you bless the ears and the hearts of those that are listening, including myself, because I'll listen to myself speak. Lord, that as I speak, Lord God, hearts would be changed, minds would be changed about things that are important for you and your kingdom, Lord. I pray that repentance would go forth to those that listen in one way or the other. Or, Lord God, if we're all upright, not upright, if we're all tight on the things we're going to talk about today, Lord God, that I pray that we'd grow stronger in those things and grow more faithful in the things that we're going to talk about today. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you, Lord God. All these things we ask in the mighty and precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 18 today. We finished up chapter 17 last week. We're going to be in Acts chapter 18. We're only going to cover verses 1 through 4. I have some a lot to say on these four little verses. So uh, if you guys want to uh, turn there, if you're already there, you can read along with me. Or if you just like to listen along, I'm going to read these four verses because we always do that in the beginning of our messages. We read the word of the Lord because it's important. And then I'll get to teach him. Acts 18, verses 1 through 4. The Bible says this. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Verse 2. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. Verse 3, So because he was of the same trade, this would be Paul, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Last week we learned that God gave Paul the opportunity to preach in Athens remember. And not only in Athens, but in the Areopagus. What is the Areopagus? It was a place where free thinkers could go and they could discuss their personal beliefs and, and their spiritual beliefs. And it was just an open forum where 
everybody could go and, and, and talk freely. And, you know, what an awesome place. I wish we had one here today. We learned that Paul was only, he only ended up getting there to Athens or to the Areopagus because he had been waiting, or I'm sorry, we learned that Paul only got this opportunity to preach in the Areopagus like he did because he had been waiting for Timothy and Silas to come, from, uh, to, come to him from the city of Berea. Before he arrived in Athens, he had to leave the city of Berea quickly, remember, because the Jews from Thessalonica had come there because they heard the Lord was moving in people's hearts and saving people. And of course, they didn't like that. So they came and they wanted to attack and maybe kill Paul. And as he waited in Athens for his companions to come from him to him from Berea, Bible tells us that his soul was aroused within him. So he looked around and saw all these statues. One was to the unknown God and all the others were to all these other false pagan Greek gods that they these people worshipped. And he, of course he wanted these people to be saved. And so his soul was stirred up in love. And, he, and, and so while he's waiting for Timothy and Silas to come, he goes and he starts preaching, right? As he's preaching, he's preaching in some marketplaces where there's lots of people because, you know, People that go preaching, they don't want to just go preaching where there's one or two. They want to go preaching where there's a whole lot of people, right? At least when I go preaching, I want to preach where there's a lot of people. I don't want to just go where there's nobody. I don't want to preach to the grass or to the trees. So Paul is going to the marketplaces when some philosophers come upon him. What is this guy saying? What's this babbler saying? What's a resurrection? What's all this stuff? And so they're like, hey, this guy would be a great. He would go great right there in the Areopagus. So let's take him. So they take him to this open air discussion place where then he made the one statue that they had there of the unknown God. He made that one statue to them. He made their unknown God known to them. Now that that short recap's out of the way, I want to point out to you something in our verse one that maybe you probably overlooked as you were reading the scripture. Read uh, chapter 18, verse one again with me, please, and let's talk about this. We read, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, putting it all together, the end of Acts 17, verses 32 through 34, and Acts 18, 1 just told us that after Paul was done preaching to those in the Areopagus in Athens, he just left and went to Corinth. And uh, Corinth, if you're wondering, is a city just slightly southwest from Athens. Question to see the overlooked point here in this verse that you may not have noticed. Did you ever read that Timothy and Silas ever came to Paul in Athens? You ever read that? You can look. I did. And guess what? You won't find it because they didn't. He never allowed them to come. Uh, you can even go back to 17 and the end of 17 like I did and read a Paul preaching near Iopagus, And it says that some people followed him and he got done preaching. And then uh, he just left. We never read that Timothy and Silas come to him. In fact, they don't come to him until he's actually in Corinth. We won't get there verse 5 today. We'll get there next week. But we don't read that they actually make it to him until verse 5 of chapter 18, where he's already been in Corinth and he's already been preaching there for a while. Remember, he was waiting there for them, but as he was waiting for them, he preached, but then he stopped waiting for them. He simply finished preaching to those in Areopagus, and then he went off to Corinth. Why would Paul leave Athens and go to Corinth while not wait for his companions? I mean, he was waiting for them. It wasn't like he was in some danger. He wasn't like the two previous places that he was, Berea and Thessalonica. He was in trouble. People had come. People wanted to hurt him. He had to leave. It was a dangerous type of thing. Why did he leave here? 
the only reason I can surmise, and it's important that we be careful what we surmise from the Bible, but here I think it's appropriate because I, Paul wanting to preach and he's wanting to save souls, I think we see Paul here get a little impatient. I think we see Paul here going, where are these guys? I want to keep preaching. I'm, I'm done here. The Lord, Lord, I, I said everything I could say here to these people. I, I preached and I preached and I preached and I went to the Areopagus and then some souls were one. I want to keep going. So it seems to me that Paul got a little impatient while he was waiting for his travel companions to come. Wisdom tells us that this was not something that really God probably wanted him to do because wisdom tells us that as he's wa- he was waiting for them because he needed them, remember. We talked about that. Every good minister, every good preacher needs uh, good people to help him. You can't do this on your own. There's no such thing as an, an army of one. So wisdom says, why not late, or or why not wait, excuse me, unless, again, he's just being impatient and he wanted to keep going for the Lord. Christians, being impatient is not a good way to be. I don't know one person on earth that's in need of zero uh, patience. We all are in need of some patience. We all need it so bad. And in fact, uh, we, we read in the Bible that, in, in, in Paul's epistles, that patience is one of those things that's given as a gift by the Holy Spirit. So we need to really be asking for patience, as Paul really probably needed to be asking for patience here from, uh, from, the, from the Lord, because, again, I think that he just was impatient and he just couldn't wait. He just had to get going. And I've been there myself. Unfortunately, I hate impatience. It's not something good. We need patience to work for the Lord. We must have it to serve Him properly. Uh, impatience is a killer. Impatience costs you money. Impatience costs you time. Uh, the old saying, haste really does make waste. The, the, the saying is haste make, makes waste. It is true. Haste really does make waste. When we are hasty, it causes extra things to happen that we didn't want to happen. Anyway, moving on, that tangent finished. I have a couple more tangents for us today. So now that Paul's in Corinth, despite why he came there when he did impatiently, I believe, without his ministry, uh, his ministry companions, look at what he does once he's there. Look at verse 2. He found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So he found some Jews that had just recently come there themselves because of a rule or a decree by Claudius Caesar, uh, and Paul finds these Jews and he joins up with them. Why does Paul join up with them? Why does he choose to join up with these Jews? Was it because they were Jewish? Well, that is most likely one of the reasons the scripture tells us very plainly in verse 2. In the Old Testament, we read that it was very common for Jews that was that were traveling from city to city, kind of like Paul is traveling here. It's very common for them to find other Jews because they're of the same heritage, they're of the same type of lineage, and then they join up together and they kind of hang out together because they have so much in common as they traveled. And this, that's what I believe that is one of the reasons why Paul joined up with them. He chose to join up with them. Jews would look a certain way. Jews would act a certain way. Jews would dress a certain way. So it's kind of like they were easy to pick out, especially in a foreign city where not everybody was Jewish. Jews would kind of stick out kind of like a sore thumb. Was there another reason why he joined up with Priscilla and Aquila? Well, Scripture tells us so, as did our title, which I forgot to mention at the very beginning because I always forget the 
the people on online can see the title before they ever click on to the message. But of course, those that are in here in my home, I apologize. The title of the message today is The Amazing Tent-Making Apostle Paul. The Amazing Tent-Making Apostle Paul. So I think our title tells us there was another reason, but maybe you might think that there's a third reason, because that's not the reason that I'm pointing out here right now. Maybe you think that there was another reason because maybe you think Aquila and Priscilla were not just Jewish, but they were Christians as well, and that's why Paul joins up with them. If you're thinking this, you might possibly be wrong because the Scripture doesn't plainly tell us that right here. Scripture does tell us that Priscilla and Aquila do either are or become Christians later on, uh, but, but actually the very next reference to them, they're not referenced as Christians. It's not till way later on when then they find some guy that's, that's talking in the synagogue about God and they hear him and he kind of sounds like he's talking about Jesus, but, but they, the Bible doesn't reference them as Christians here nor in the very next reference that they're kind of just hanging out with Paul as he's kind of going into synagogues. As I did my study this week, because I know their future, I was just automatically going to say that another reason was that they were Christians, and that's why Paul yoked up with them. But God caught my heart and corrected me before I made that mistake. Maybe they were already Christians at this point here, but we cannot say that they were 100% because the Bible doesn't say it plainly that they were at this time. Just maybe as something as I was doing this study and as I was writing this out, God, you know, I kind of was thinking about some things. And I think it's quite possible that they were not here, that they were just Jewish here. But then, you know, we do read it. They kind of continued to hang out with Paul for a while. Well, what did God make good? Or what did God make Paul good at? Well, preaching to Jews in the synagogue and other places, convincing them or, or, or you know, what, what does the scripture say? Proving to them that Jesus was the Christ. And so maybe they were converted. That's my, I lean toward that now after I did the study and after I looked at the places where they're mentioned. But I don't really think that he joined up with them because they were Christians here. I do believe one reason was they were Jewish. And then the other reason will be uh, our next verse chapter, or verse 3. Uh, look at verse 3, keep reading. Uh, this is the third nail in the coffin. Uh, second reason why he definitely joined up with them. Verse 3 says, So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation they were tent makers. Again, that was the another for sure reason. Verse 3 just put a nail in the coffin as to what it surely was. They were all Jewish, yes, but also they also had something else in common to come together. They all worked the same trade to provide for themselves. They made tents to make their living. They were Jewish tent makers. And something I was thinking of as I was setting up this sermon, I wonder if they had a name, the Jewish tent makers. I, I could see the sign now, the Jewish tent makers. Maybe the Jews were good at building and people knew that. I don't know. I'm just saying it's a funny thing. Uh, anyway, they all made tents, same as I drive school bus to make my living. That's how they made their living. Now, that's pretty neat, but I also say it's pretty humble when you look at actually what the scripture said there. The apostle Paul, the greatest apostle, whom was the greatest, greater than all the other apostles, and for that matter, Christians that's ever lived on the face of the earth, as, as far as all that he did for God's kingdom, didn't receive a monetary salary from the Christian churches 
to do the work that he did for the Lord. He made his living and provided for himself, himself, by making tents. Again, this is very impressive to me and again, very humbling as you think about it, right? Uh, Now, normally, I wouldn't consider myself a main preacher. Uh, People have a kind of a status for people that are from the pulpit nowadays. They they say, well, you know, that that guy, that pastor, he's really more of a teacher of the word of the Lord. And, And that's what I would consider myself more than anything, a teacher of the word. I love to teach God's word and explain God's word and let it pan out to where you can see it and get into those hard areas where Christians kind of stray away from because, you know, I don't know how to answer those things. Well, God gives me wisdom, so I like to teach the word of the Lord. But there are teachers and there are preachers. Now, can a teacher be a preacher and a preacher be a teacher? Yes, because I I do sometimes preach. I get a little preachy, um, but often uh, I'm just a teacher. Here today, I must preach on this uh, section, and, and this is one of those times that I have to break into. Forget about teaching, because we've, we've got the basics. <laughs> Paul went here, he did this, he, he was moving on, I think he was impatient, and then he wanted to, he was there, so while he was there, why well, need, he needs some money, so he didn't go to the churches and beg the churches for money, oh, give me money, give me money, give me money. Instead, he had a trade that he fell back on, as he speaks about in his epistles. You know, be, you know do work, we're going to look at them here today. But Verse 3, just think about this. Just let this settle into your brain, people. I really want you to just let this settle in. Luke, or remember again, Luke was the writer, author of Acts. Luke just told us that the Apostle Paul, who was again undoubtedly the greatest Christian, and again the greatest apostle of them all, doing more for God than every single one of the other apostles, who, the Apostle Paul, did more for Christ than any Christian ever, who, think of this, who ended up authoring over half of the New Testament books, 14 out of 27, by the way. And again, Luke just told us that this amazing juggernaut named the Apostle Paul worked a J. O-B for his living. Wow. There are a couple major points that I'm going to make about this tent-making Apostle Paul that will take up most of the rest of the message, and and that's why I'm only going to preach on or teach on these four verses today. So sit back and put your listening ears on because there are going to be some very firm words of exhortation and some very firm expectations, hopefully, of some repentance in the next two tangents that I'm going to preach on today. The first tangent I'm going to go on about this verse is this. Under the whole idea of the amazing, tent-making Apostle Paul, I want you to think about this first tangent I have for us today. People in churches today cry, cry, cry if they're asked to serve the Lord, serving donuts and coffee in the church in the morning. And they cry because they say, oh, I work a lot of hours at my job. And and because of this, I, I just need to come to church and be fed. What? What? I 
work 40 to 50 hours a week and I can't serve God in the ministry in the church because, you know, I'm just so tired. I just need to come to church and I just need to be fed. Ladies and gentlemen, if you believe this, this is ridiculous and asinine and you're wrong. You are wrong for thinking this. And I'm not telling you that you're wrong because I'm telling you I'm wrong. I'm telling you I, I, I believe you're wrong by what the Bible says, okay? I, I wonder what the Apostle Paul would have said about this mindset. Well, that's right. I don't need to wonder what he said. I know what he said. For starters, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Let's just hear what Paul has to say on this subject that we're talking about here, serving the Lord, you know, just being fed, you know, so on and so forth. He says, for us by grace you have been saved through faith, and then not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That means we're, we're not saved by doing any good work. We're saved by God's grace and ourselves putting our faith in that work of God on the cross of Jesus Christ and then being saved. But then it doesn't end there. People love to just quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 because that's, you know, that's the salvation verses. And those are great verses. But people often leave out verse 10. They just don't keep reading because here's what the Apostle Paul thinks of your, I can't serve God. I'm just so busy with work and school and I have this. And I can't do any ministry. I, I just want to come to church to get fed. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, he, he, he's working on us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works are serving God. Good works are taking care of the widows, taking care of the elderly. And guess what? All of those good works entail us to do something. We don't just come and just sit down and sit and listen, and that doesn't take care of the, of the widows. That doesn't take care of the elders. That doesn't take care of the needy. That doesn't take care of this. That, doesn't, that does nothing, but you're a sponge. You just want to receive all the time. There's no good work in just going and sitting in a pew and listen to the message every week and not do anything with what God teaches you. That's not good works. Good works are getting out of your seat and serving Jesus Christ in the church that he has planted you in. Going out, loving on people. Uh, you, you see somebody's in need of something, providing that need for that person. Man, somebody, uh, there's a homeless guy and, you know, he, he looks like he's half dead. Well, going and telling him about Jesus and giving him a cheeseburger. Those are good works. But none of those good works are done by anybody going and sitting in a church, sitting their fat butts in that church pew, and just sitting there and listening, and then going home and doing nothing. That is not why we were, we were created in Christ Jesus for any. That's nothing. Nothing. And if you believe that that's you, you're wrong. And Paul says so. Secondly, look at this other one. Romans 12 1 through 6, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, he's pleading with us. I plead with you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Hey, 
laying it all out for the kingdom of heaven. I used to play football, and the coaches said when we play football, hey, guys, come on, we're going to play a game. I want you to give 110% of yourselves on the field. Well, that's, and I believe that's just not football players. People tell that too. Coaches tell that too. I think that's all sports. Your coaches tell them that. Well, if you're giving 110% of yourself, you're not just coming there to sit and watch the game. You're there and you're giving your bodies a reasonable sacrifice. You're doing something. And two, verse two, keeps going. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, the title that the New King James Version translators translate the next section to, he writes, is this. Serve God with spiritual gifts. That's their title. I wonder why they surmise that title. Well, let's look at verses 3 through 6. For I say, this is Paul again, through the grace given to me that everyone who is among you, not to think of themselves more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, a function provides that you do something, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, six, having then different gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. What do we not understand about using our gifts? You don't use your gifts while you're sitting in the pew. That is not a gift. Everybody can sit down. Everybody can listen. He's talking about here, we're members of a body. If your body, if something in your body doesn't work, what do you do? (laughs) You go try to a doctor and you try to get it fixed so that it can work. Because everything on your body does something. Every single thing. And you may be, well, there's, Pastor Ed, there's skin on your back that doesn't do anything. Well, I, I beg to differ. Your body, your skin is called your epidermis. And your epidermis is your biggest organ in your body. And your organs are always doing stuff. They're always taking things in or they're putting bad toxins out. So yes, everything on your body does something for your body. And Paul likened us in the body of Christ to doing things. And he encourages, he pleads with us, use the gifts that we're given. Coming and sitting in church is not using a gift. It's just coming and sitting in church. So yes, that's what he did say, not what he might have said, right? Now, now Christians, now please, I say this in all of. If the Apostle Paul, who did more for Christ than any other apostle or Christian ever, who wasn't supported financially, so had to work to provide for himself by making tents, Just think of that. Just think of that. Maybe you didn't even know today before today that Paul had a job. Well, now you know. And if he did this, then you, you can certainly work 40 or 50 or even 60 or 70 hours a week and still manage to serve God in your church or wherever God may call you to work for him for that matter. You can still do that. Uh, Did you know that the Apostle Paul also, on top of all he wanted, when I keep mentioning all the things that he did for God, did you also know that he evangelized almost the entire known worlds of Asia, Asia Minor, Sicily, Syria, and Macedonia, and he did it all without having a car. He did it all, he had no airplane, he didn't even have a cell phone, no computers, 
as well as he propagated the gospel in Rome while in prison for preaching the gospel. Can you even believe that? And he, pre- and he, and he propagated the gospel in Rome more than anybody else ever has. And, and as he did more on foot than any other Christian I've ever known of biblically or even on our modern day with any, all our amazing technology, he did it almost the entire time, if not the entire time, before he went to prison, supporting himself by making tents without church support. Wow. Yet, yet today, most that go to church don't want to pick a ministry in the safety of the church building that they go to every week, and they don't want to serve in it. Ministries such as Usher, or the children's ministry, or Sunday school children's ministry, or, or Sunday school teaching other people, or, or donuts and coffee ministry in the morning, and they, and they don't because I'm tired, and I work a job, and, and I manage my household. What Christians, please, this is ridiculous. Now, I can tell you right now, I can tell you right now with, with a guaranteed of assurance that God is not happy with the person in his church that has this weak, beggarly mindset. Did you know, Christians, I want to tell you something shocking. Uh, most, uh, most pastors or preachers will not tell you these things that I'll tell you now because they, they don't want to offend you because they could offend you. And, and, and if they offend you, you probably won't come back and you won't give them their, you know, your money. And, you know, and they want your money because that, you know, helps them financially. And instead of, you know, just telling it to you out like it is, like I do here at GSC. But did you know, Christians, that in almost every church that exists, this is the mindset of those of the majority of the congregation. This this mindset of I just work so much and I just want to come to church and I just want to be fed. That's right. It's common knowledge within the leadership of almost every church that 90 to 100 percent of the lay ministry work, and that would mean all those things that I just not 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 being the pastor or the assistant pastor or the music pastor, the paid positions of the church, but 90 percent, 90 to 100 percent of the lay ministry work, cutting the grass, doing the flowers, you know, uh, vacuuming the floor, cleaning the church for Sunday, what all, all these things for the church is done by 10 percent of the members. In the, or, or of the congregants. Christians, this is shameful. And if this is you and you find yourself listening to this message, this is a holy, loving forearm from God's word given from my lips. And it's time for repentance. Repentance in the fact that you get busy serving God in his church. You getting busy doing what God told you to do, using yourself, not just being selfish and serving yourself, but serving God in a ministry in the church or outside of the church or wherever God puts you and not just coming to church to be fed. God made you for good works, which remember Ephesians 2.10, which God prepared beforehand so that you should walk in them, not just come to church so that you can get fed and go back to your happy life and feeling good about yourself because you went to church. Christians, that's ridiculous. That's my first tangent. It's out of the way. If you're still listening to me, I have a second one. The second one's a little bit more hard-hitting. I don't know, maybe the first one was to you already. Don't turn me off. It's the truth. Read your Bible. It's the truth. Uh, my, my first tangent being over uh, the, on the topic of the amazing tent-making Apostle Paul. Uh, 
he did what he did and still made tents for a living without support from the church. My tangent number two, Paul was not paid or supported by the church of God. He worked for his living. And I want you to know before I start this tangent, a little prelude, I don't want you to think that in this next tangent that, I, that I'm going to give you, I'm that against the people of God being supported by the ministries, churches that God has them working for. So the Pauls and Peters and you know, Stevens of today's church. Uh, the reason I'm not against paid ministry positions is because the Bible says that paying those who work for God in his church is God's will. Paul, speaking to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.18 says this, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. This would be 1 Timothy 5.17-18, verse 18. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle out an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Okay, so although I know that many in our world today, many in our world today are against the idea of pastors and leaders in God's church being paid, getting salary. I'm not. Gospel Saving Church doesn't provide for me just yet, but it will someday. I work a job, basically building tents, you know, driving school buses for, like, like Paul did for my wages to support my family like Paul did himself. And that's what God has me doing right now. And that's fine, but I'm still not against Leaders and churches and ministries getting paid to do the work of the Lord. Um, these people that are in the paid positions of jobs, that is their job to take care of God's house and his people. For that is what God has called them to do, period, the end. And I think it's completely unfair for anyone to think or look down on the work, on, on the work that God calls men to do for his church and them being paid to do it as different work that they do on the outside of the church, the work that provides for them and their families. There's no difference, same thing. Uh, when people work in a church for God, that's how they are providing for their family. And how is it fair that you expect somebody to work for your church and serve in your church as, as like the pastor or the receptionist that takes phone calls all week long and, you know, taking people's crap on how they want to rent a room or they want to rent this or they want to do this in a church. How do you expect those people to work for free when you don't go there and don't give anything? You go there and you give your tithes and your gifts, which is something you should do. But then those people, that's their job. That's what they've decided. That's what God's called them to do. Like they've called you to work in a retail store or a restaurant or a school bus or a paraprofessional, whatever. That's, that's their job. So anyway, before I give this tangent, I'm not against paid leadership of the church and etc. Why I'm making such a, beal, a big deal about this great apostle Paul not receiving a salary from the church and working for his living by making tents is because... Because, 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 number one, many people think that it's okay for the church of God to support them, yet they're not full-time servants of the church. They're just lay members. Oh, I'm going to go to church. They're going to give me money. <laughs> oh, and number two, many, many people look to the church to support them in some or all fashion, and they don't work a job at all. Or they don't work enough of a job to provide for their families, leaving their households with insufficient funds or wages to take care of them, leaving their families' bills regularly unpaid, while all the while coming to the church, hitting up church members, hitting up pastors, hitting up the leaders. For what? For money. And all why? 
because they don't want to work a job to provide for them and their families. Or they don't want to work enough of a job because they know that they can go to the church and they can get money from the church. I know of a man, I kid you not, who claims to follow Christ, believing that God told him to come across from one state to another. I'm going to go to seminary. That's what God called me to do. I'm going to go to seminary. He wasn't going to go to work at all during this time when he came, but he was going to make his wife go to work. that's That's the godly man thing to do. As a result of his recklessness, he often speaks to those at church about it. They feel bad for him. And of course, they give him money to keep his family off the streets. Now, you Pastor Ed, you're being you're being wrong. No, the Bible we're going to read it in a little bit speaks bad about the man who will not work to support his family, and this is wrong. Christians, the Bible is for men of God working to support their families. That's our first ministry. So this this fellow, he finally realized that he needed to work. So and he took the bullet. He got himself a part-time job at $10 an hour working 20 hours a week at a local business uh, because the wife wasn't making enough to support the bills, right? Well, think about it. Now, we live in the Dallas area, and and $200 a week is not going to go far. $200 a week is not going to pay the bills. It's not going to keep the electric on. It's not going to keep you in your place. But then, even though there wasn't ever enough, ever, He still refused to work more than a part-time job, which again, wasn't paying his family's bills. And this doesn't, this didn't, I guess it didn't bother him one or two. He just didn't care because he just keeps going about this foolishness and the people of the church keep giving this man their money. So he continues to not provide for his family sufficiently because he expects the church to do it, I guess. And he's also an unpaid person in the church. So, So this tangent is aimed at the so many people that expect that God's church should support them, and yet they're not on staff, so not working for the church in a paid position. This idea, this mindset sickens me. It sickens me. Yet again, you have our scripture today telling us that the greatest apostle ever, who, who again did more for God than any other man or woman that has ever lived, working a J-O-B to not be a burden on the church. Verse 3, so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and he worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. So please tell me, anyone, please, if this amazing, Tent-making Apostle Paul, who found time to write over half the New Testament books of the Bible, 14 out of 27, plus evangelize and plant churches in almost the whole of the known world of his day, being the most productive apostle, servant of God that has ever lived, and oh, oh yeah, who also made tents to support himself, to make a living while serving God in Christ, to the max How is it that people can't work a J-O-B to support their families 100% even outside of serving Jesus Christ church at all? How is that? How? I I don't understand why a, a man that says, I love Jesus Christ, 
does not support his family as the Bible says that a man is is supposed to support his family. Why is it that people think it's okay to come to the church and get the church to support their family? When the Apostle Paul did all that he did and he was the example, uh, an example right, right below Christ. Christ is our example, and then the apostles are the men that he gave to go spread the world, the word everywhere, and yet the apostle Paul gives us the example that he does. The church's job is to not support people who don't want to or won't refuse to work for a living and to provide for their own family. The, the church is a type of business, and it and its members don't exist as charity for others just, just because you want to be lazy, because you don't want to work and be responsible to take care of your family. We've had these, these people at Gospel Saving Church here, and guess what? They don't stay long because I don't play their game. I don't I just don't play it. I refuse to play the game because I know what they're doing. They don't want to work and they come to the church just so the church can give them money. The Bible has some very scary firm and powerful words for people that, like I mentioned above on this topic. 1 Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his own, what does that mean to provide for your own? That means to work a job to pay the bills so so that you actually support your family and, and buy the food they need and put the roof over their head. So if anyone does not provide for his own, this is coming from Paul, 1 Timothy 5.8, same Paul that we, we talk about today, all that he did, and he, said, he goes on to say, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's not my words. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the the greatest apostle ever who didn't get supported by the church, but rather he worked for himself to support the church, both spiritually and monetarily. 2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 15. But we command you, brethren, this is not a suggestion that he's given, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw. So get away from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. What tradition did they receive uh, from them that Paul said that they should get away from these freeloaders who want to use God's church like an ATM? Verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. What is he considered disorderly? Verse 8, Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Hey, we came, don't follow the people's example that they don't want to work and they want to sit around and they want to be lazy and they want to eat people's bread for free. Follow our example for we worked. Worked what? Uh, J-O-B to provide so that we wouldn't be a burden to anyone. Verse 9, he goes on to say, not because we do not have authority. So he says, we could have. Hey, I have the authority. I'm an apostle. If I wanted to, I could command the churches to give me money. I'm an apostle. I have that right. But he says this, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Follow us and how we work for a living and provide for our own 
because that's the godly and right thing to do. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. If you don't work a job, you don't get money. And you don't get money, you're not going to eat. No, 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 no. Christians, don't feed him. No, 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 no. If he won't work, don't give him anything. Oh, yeah, how could the Apostle Paul? Oh, that's not, that's not the humanitarian thing to do. Oh, yes, it is. Paul knows that if you encourage people in their stupid positions and their stupid brain ideas of, I'm not going to work, the church is going to take care of me, or the people of God will take care of me, he knows that that's sinful and that's not the right thing to do. Verse 11, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort you through the Lord Jesus Christ, that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Uh, work. Let them work. They want to eat? Let them work. Verse 13. But as for you, brethren, listen to this. Listen to these powerful words that he says here at the end. Do not grow weary in doing good. Keep going yourselves. Keep doing what you know you're supposed to do. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Don't keep hanging out with him. Don't fellowship with that person who won't work and be lazy. And why not? Not because he hates them, that they may be ashamed. What Ashamed of what? Ashamed that nobody will hang out with them and maybe they ought to do right and get right with God in this area of our lives instead of fooling around and being lazy and not working. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother, meaning encourage him to do what's right. And, and this is my heart here in this message. If this is you and you're listening to me, don't hate on me. I'm just teaching you what the Bible tells you. You're wrong if you think that God's church exists to be an ATM for you. That the people of God in that church exist as people that are supposed to help you because you don't want to work. Because you want to be lazy. Paul says some hard things. And you, again, you won't hear these things in too many churches today. Uh, but again, I, I've never heard them other than when I preach here in Gospel Saving Church. No. But, but again, I only teach them because I love you and because, you know what, I'm going to tell you the hard things. But Paul only said these things, and I'm only saying these things, these, these, these hard things to talk about because I love you. And because I want you to do right. If you, uh, God's church, this, then this goes out to all the people, as I myself have been in this position before, where I've given money to people like this. If you, in that position, or God's church, if we keep giving the hard-earned money that's been and is currently being worked for to those who don't want to work and want to use God's church and you like a cash cow, then you are enabling them and emboldening them to keep on going in the sin of laziness and you never help them get off a stuck-on stupid and to live a life that's pleasing unto God. Now, as a quick aside, because we're rolling into the getting done in the message here in just a little bit, I, I want you to understand I'm not talking about the person that's in your church 
that, that's had a job for a long time and they've been a productive member of the church and all of a sudden they lose their job and they fall on hard times. I'm not talking about this type of person. I'm not talking about the person that comes into a struggling time in their lives. I'm, me and, me and, in fact, me and my wife, years ago, we were fellowshipping and serving at this church in Plano. And we had a major house expense. And at that time, and God was providing for us, but he wasn't providing for us to, to like he is now, where me and my wife have got some better jobs and we're making a little bit more money now. We're still serving God, but we're making a little bit more money now, so we're not as, you know, not as needy. We're, we're, we're the ones that can help now, not the ones that always need to be helped to get on our feet. But we, had, uh, we were working, and, and something happened. A major thing in our house broke or something. I, I can't remember. It was the, we needed a, a new panel on the AC machine. It was going to be like it was going to be like a thousand or twelve hundred dollars, something crazy like that. And this was it was about seven, eight, nine years ago. And uh, so we went in, and I didn't bother people for money, but I was an usher at the time. And as we were praying, and I was an usher, they we were going around, and we were praying for you know the church and our needs and this and anything. Well, another brother heard me pray for you know my asking for provision to get this one thing fixed that we need to get fixed, and he approached me after knowing that I was a good, hardworking, godly man, not walking disorderly, but walking and working and not begging for money. And every single day that I went to church, and they and his, his wife offered to fix our problem and I was so blessed and I'm not talking about people like this I'm not talking about people that are just falling into some struggling times I'm talking about people that you know who they are they just come to church and every time they come to church all they do is beg for money all they do is, woe is me, I don't have enough. Woe is me, woe is me. Can you provide? Oh, do you have any extra, brother? You know, and this is why they come. So please understand, I'm not talking about those that fall into struggling situations. I'm talking about those who purposely and continuously can't hold a job. Oh, just can't hold a job. Oh, bills are late. Oh, we're about to be evicted. Oh, brother, do you think you can help us? And it's not just one time. It's all the time. And come on, ladies and gentlemen, we know who's those that want to work and those that don't want to work. And those that don't want to work, as Paul said, they shouldn't eat, which means you shouldn't be giving them your hard-earned money so that they can stay stuck on stupid, down in the dumps, not wanting to do any better for themselves. I, both I and Paul absolutely can say these things because we both, he did and I, provide for ourselves and our families by working the J-O-Bs uh, to do so. And so living a life that's pleasing to God, not being disorderly, instead serving the church of God and not being a burden to it. Guys, this is serious God's business. And, and seriously and realistically, if the greatest apostle Christian ever doing more for God and Jesus Christ than anyone else ever was able to do all that I've mentioned in this message so far and work a J-O-B to support himself, please don't tell me that you can at least support yourself and your family at the bare minimum. Plus then don't tell me that you can't serve God by participating in some kind of ministry on a weekly basis of the church that you belong to. If you call yourself a Christian today, it is your God-appointed and commanded duty to serve God and His church freely. Not being a burden to God's church, but rather being an asset to His church. Doing this by not only serving His church, but giving tithes and gifts to the church and for the work that it does for those who truly struggle in righteousness and to support your spiritual 
leaders. This is the godly way to do things, Christians, not to walk disorderly by not working and being lazy and not supporting your families. Please repent of this behavior if this is you when I say this in love. Look even at the amazing tent-making Apostle Paul uh, still had energy even after he worked countless hours in the week to support himself. Look at our last verse, verse 4. And then he, you could say after he worked, after he worked his job, and as and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, so he, he worked during the week and preached Christ on Saturday. Their Sabbath was Saturday. He, every Saturday, notice. And what did he do? He persuaded or proved uh, Jesus Christ both... And, and persuaded both Jews and Greeks, and we know that would be persuaded them to believe in Jesus Christ. Notice again, this was every Sabbath, not just one time serving God one time, and he persuaded or proved Christ to the Jews and Gentiles uh, that were there. He still found time to serve Jesus Christ, even though he was working to provide for himself. Wow, what a concept, right? I myself have found time to serve God and Christ from, for Gospel Saving Church for the last six years of my life, plus the whole time, entire time, working at least two jobs or one to provide full-time work for me and my family so we can support to live. Before Gospel Saving Church, I found myself uh, also to work at least one full-time job the whole time while serving God and Christ at the local church that God called us to when he first brought me and my family here to Texas almost 12 years ago. And not only did I and my family serve Christ at that church, as in Gospel Saving Church now, but we also gave financially to the church to help support those that God had called to work for him in that church and apart from having you know my job in the world that I had. Christians, I have to tell you, we waste a lot of time. We waste a lot of time on Facebook and video games and the internet and TV. We waste a lot of time. And there's more time than you think that you have to serve God and to serve Jesus Christ. I had a brother years ago challenge me to write a book. And I, oh, no, 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 on top of the other ministry that I was doing, I can't write a book, guy, and I, I can't do that. I'm, I got a house and I got work and I got ministry. I can't write a book, too. Uh, teaching every Sunday, I, I can't, preaching on Sundays, I can't write a book. But then God showed me one day, Ed, you waste so much time here, here, and here. You absolutely can write a book, and I want you to write a book, and let's get to it. And you know what? I did it, and it ain't even a small book, and it's in the last stages of editing right now, and I'm about to get it looked at by a professional editor and get it uh, and get it to. You know, written up and, and getting it set up, and I this and I, you got more time than you think. Please uh, listen to me, Christians. If someone, if you out there are a real Christian, the amazing tent making Apostle Paul gives us a great example of what we can really do for God if we truly love Him and we get out of ourselves, Christians. With what we've read today in the Bible in these sections we've looked at today, along with the examples of the amazing tent-making Apostle Paul, I just don't see how anyone that really loves Jesus Christ can be, with an honest conscience, be a part of God's church and not serve Him in some fashion in that church. Or, or go to one of God's churches expecting to be financially supported because they just don't want to work to support their families. I would even have to be honest with you and say this. How can someone really love Jesus Christ truly and also go to his church with the expectation to be supported because they're too lazy to work? <clears throat> Again, 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those in his household, <clears throat> excuse me, if you just won't work, he has denied that one. That one, listen to the Bible. You, if you, this is you, have denied the faith. 
And Paul says that you are worse than an unbeliever. Uh, if you are one of those that I spoke to today, either, either with the mindset of, I don't have time to serve God in His church, I just want to come to church to be fed, or the one that comes to church to get support, money, food, because you're not willing to work to support yourself and your family, I want to challenge you with the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 7. If you see, there's many, the Bible says, that believe themselves to be right with God, but they're not. Christ said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will look to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These people who calls Jesus Lord, except for the one that believes that they are his. Well, if these people thought that they were his, and yet, for whatever reason, well, they practiced lawlessness, and we don't know what that lawlessness was, but we know that because of their practice of ways that were not godly, Jesus said, be gone, I never knew you. To people who thought they were really saved their whole lives or their whole time that they supposedly became a Christian, and they were wrong. For Jesus said to those that call him Lord, Lord, I never knew you, be gone, depart from me, be gone from me. That could be you. Seriously, many people think that they're saved, but they're not. But they're thinking, they're, they're deceived into thinking they are. For they've, A lot of preachers today teach this easy believism crap. Oh, just pray this prayer. And oh, you know, Jesus loves you and you'll be saved. Well, that, that's not what God said in his word ought to be saved. So, so please, I, I want to warn you, you, you may not actually belong to Jesus Christ. I would ask you to seek the Lord, or, or, or truly seek Him and ask Him, Lord, am I saved? Really read your Bible and say, do I match a saved person in the Bible? Uh, on the other side, are you truly saved and in just need of some major repentance or, or a major course correction and the shock of your ways really being terrible? Like maybe you didn't know that just coming to church just to get fed was not the godly thing. Maybe you didn't know that was a terrible thing in God's eyes. Maybe you didn't know it was, it was ungodly to not work and to come to the church and, and want you, you know, expect the church to support you. Well, now you know. And, and so are you, in, are you a real Christian, but you're in need of... Get, get busy. Get busy and become a productive member of God's force on this earth. You are, if you are truly belong to Christ, you are a member of the body. And members of bodies, every single inch of your body does something. Even you say, well, maybe, maybe a fingernail doesn't do anything, Pastor. Right? You know, what do you do with a fingernail? What does it do? What does it just do? Well, it protects your finger, right? It gives, it's able to scratch you when you got an itch. Every single part of your body does something. We are likened to a part of Christ's body. Christ's body does things for Christ's church. And again, if you're really his, and these two terrible examples I gave today fit you, you need to repent and get busy serving God and serving Jesus Christ now and stop walking disorderly and walk in humility and servitude. If you're a true Christian, if the amazing tent-making Apostle Paul could do all that he did for Jesus Christ in God's kingdom while working a tent, J-O-B, to support himself, then you can do way more for God's kingdom than you are doing right now. True born-again Christian, get busy for God and Jesus Christ. 
If God has shown you today, maybe you're not a maybe you're not a true Christian. Maybe you're not truly saved. Well, then God wants to tell you right now how you become a truly born again, truly saved person. We go to Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, and this is how we start a relationship with God being born again. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That means you take a step of repentance and you turn your heart to God and you surrender your life to God. You make God your Lord. You make God, you make Jesus Christ the master of your life. You, you stop fooling around with God and stop giving God lip service and truly fall on your knees, whether it be in your heart or actually on your face, in, in reality, like on your physical knees, and you cry out to God and ask Him to save you and surrender your heart to Him. And that's what Jesus said. That's how you begin. Let Him deny himself. But then look, right after you get saved, Jesus goes on. He goes on to say, and after you do this, well, take up your cross and follow me. Do something. Do something. Follow me. Follow my ways. Verse 25, for whoever desires to save his life, that would be his earthly life, will lose it, meaning his eternal life. But whoever loses his life or surrenders his heart, you could say, as I just explained in Verse 24, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, meaning find his eternal life. If you are any type of the lazy, disobedient person I mentioned today, I hope that you will make some major changes today after this message. Please repent and either come to Jesus Christ for the first time and get saved and get right with God and start to begin to serve him now. Or if you're already his, Take a step of repentance and find a ministry. Tell God you're sorry and get involved in a ministry and serve Jesus Christ and the church that he's planted you in and do it now. Please, this is not a suggestion. This is God's command to you. Serve God in Christ like he is worthy to be served because he is. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord God, for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your grace. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your mercy. God, we ask, Lord God, please, that you would pour out repentance upon those that are listening to this message right now, Lord God in heaven. Please pour out repentance. Repentance on those that are either, they're, they think that they're just, you know, God's special gift and they're able to work and or they don't have to work, excuse me, and they can just take advantage of God's church and God's church is supposed to support them and, you know, Lord, bring repentance on them because that's not the right heart attitude, Lord. Bring repentance on those that think, well, I work so much and I do this much and I do that much and I just don't have the energy or time to serve God in the church. I, I, just, I just need to come and be fed. Lord, those are not the right attitudes to have. Lord God, please, either convict the people that are listening. If they're not really yours, Lord God, help them to surrender. Help them to, to give themselves to you, Lord God. Help them to, to cry out to you and surrender their hearts, Lord God, and, and become a Christian, Lord, and become a born-again Christian, Lord God, so that they can become useful for you and your kingdom. Lord, if, if they're not, or if they're already yours, Lord, and they just truly had some wrong ideas about what it's like being a Christian, Lord God, well, they got set straight today. And Lord God, I, there, there's, if Paul, if the man that won't work, won't eat. 
So, Lord, please bring them to repentance, Lord God, and get those people busy for your kingdom, doing something, Lord God, for you. We thank you, Lord, and we love you, and we praise you, God. Please bring repentance on those listening, those that will ever listen to this message, Lord God, that they can start living a, a holy and pleasing life to you. And we ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.